The Water Values Podcast, Session 159. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thanks so much for joining us. We have a great show for you today. Uh, it's uh, that time of year. It's the, the holidays and we're going to kick off as we normally do around this time of year with kind of a philanthropic bent on our topic today. We have Walt Walker. Walt is a professional engineer with Greenland Hansen, but he's heavily involved with Engineers Without Borders. And he's going to talk with us about Engineers Without Borders, their mission, kind of some of the projects, how they go about getting those projects, and how you can get involved with Engineers Without Borders, even if you're not an engineer. So uh, it's a great interview. Walt is terrific. He is very passionate. uh, And that just really shines through uh, in this interview. Very genuine. Uh, He's a terrific guy. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast. Um, Before we get to that, though, we do have a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, Thank you for all the ratings and reviews that you've given over the past year. We've really uh, had some terrific ones. Uh, The one I haven't gotten to yet, reading on air, this one is five stars. It's by Josh Christ, and he says, inspiring podcast. As someone new to the intricacies of water infrastructure, treatment, equity, and access, I can immediately see why this podcast is rated so highly. David's style as a host is incredible because he allows each guest to share their knowledge unimpeded while simultaneously building the bridges we need as listeners so we can track eat with each point. This is a must-listen resource for anyone interested in understanding our water system and its future. Well, Josh, Chris, thank you so much for that terrific uh, rating and review. Really appreciate you leaving that. And if you've been enjoying the podcast, please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast directory that you uh, listen to uh, the podcast on. So thanks so much. Uh, also, I hope all of you have a wonderful holiday. Uh, we have a great uh, panel discussion coming up for our second uh, uh, release in December. It's going to be the 2019 year in water. So stay tuned for that one. That's We've got some big names who are going to come and share their thoughts and insights on what we experienced in 2019 in the water sector. So with that, let's get to the feature interview with Walt Walker. Here we go. Open the, open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and away we go. Well, Walt, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. Great to have you on. How are you doing today? Uh, doing great, Dave. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm glad we could connect um, again after first meeting at the <laughs> One Water Summit in Austin. Yeah, that was, was a pleasant surprise. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm so happy the uh, the stars aligned and, and we were able to our paths were able to cross. Um, could you tell us a little about your background and how you got interested in water? Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, just some personal background background on me. I'm uh, originally from the Philadelphia area. Um, I'm an environmental engineer with a, a BS and MS degree uh, from Rowan University, so I grew up in the South Jersey area, go profs. Um, <laughs> uh, I've been working in the industry for, for over 12 years, and I've been living in New York City for the past three and a half as a, as a project manager uh, at Greeley Hansen, where um, now I'm responsible for design and management of water, wastewater, and solid waste treatment facilities. But I've more recently been involved on flood resiliency projects and, um, and projects related to, uh, to climate change. 
So for me, in, in terms of, of water, you know, I've always a, I was always a lover of the math and sciences uh, growing up. But uh, it became clear to me over time that, you know, engineering would be my path. I just kind of needed a, I needed to be guided towards a specialty in a sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when we were met at the One Water Summit, you had mentioned that you were involved in Engineers Without Borders. Correct. And, yeah, so can you tell us a little about how you became involved? You know, what, how did your awareness of, of Engineers Without Border, you know, arise? Well, I, I think I think the gap was was connected during my college experience. So, uh, so so during college, you know, I was a civil engineering major, and I was really looking for a purpose and a specific passion in the industry. Um, and I found myself being drawn more towards the uh, environmental side, the environmental engineering side. So, you know, I was struggling for purpose, um, but also wanting to pursue more knowledge. So, while I was a senior in college, you know, struggling with finding that practical uh, purpose. Um, you know, my environmental engineering course professor, uh, who was from Bangladesh, um, you know, and would eventually become my grad school advisor, you know, offered me the opportunity to travel with her and an ongoing research team uh, to provide support on a uh, water uh, water supply project in, in Bangladesh in the rural areas uh, outside of Dhaka. Uh, so we were there for for two weeks. Uh, you know, it was, it was my first time having to get a passport, getting shots, all of those things. And uh, I, even, I even got sick drinking the water <laughs> over, uh, over in Bangladesh. But it was, a, it was an eye-opener for me. You know, we, you know, we worked with the local university there, um, explored, you know, some of the uh, naturally occurring arsenic issues in groundwater. Um, and, and so just the general experience and, and, the, and the practical application of, of the impact that we can make. Uh, you know, really, you know, really impacted me. So, you know, flying back, you know, kind of thinking about all of this, you know, my, pro my professor told me two things. Number one, here's what an environmental engineer, uh, you know, might do. And number two, uh, there's a student chapter on campus called Engineers Without Borders. Um, so you might want to consider getting, you know, involved in them. And so that's what really, you know, kicked it off. And so Engineers Without Borders is a, is a nonprofit organization. I've been a volunteer with the organization for the past 13 years. Uh, they're headquartered in Denver and, and we're established in 2002. And so their, you know, their mission is to, you know, build a better world domestically and internationally through engineering projects that empower communities to meet their basic human needs. And at the same time, you know, developing and equipping you know, leaders to, you know, to solve these pressing challenges within chapters, but also within the communities that we partner with. And so, you know, EWB is comprised of over 10,000 volunteers and uh, over 280 chapters, uh, combined student and, and, and professional. And the annual conference was just a week ago. I was actually in Pittsburgh for that um, presenting. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, Obviously, you are focused on a lot of water projects. What, does Engineers Without Borders? What is, um, you know, what, what are the what are the types of projects it takes on? Is it just limited to water? No, it's. Uh, I, I would say a majority of the projects are either water supply or, or water treatment, but the types of projects could cover uh, sanitation focus, energy, um, you know, solar power. Uh, agricultural, stru uh, structural, and, uh, and transportations uh, as well. And so, and, and very often some of these projects incorporate, you know, more than one discipline because these projects do require a multidisciplinary approach. Can you talk a little about how the projects kind of relate 
to one another in terms of the different infrastructure types of, you know, water, sewer, you know, to transportation infrastructure, to electric infrastructure, things like that? Right. And, and I think uh, my, uh, you know, the previous comment I made kind of kind of ties into that, you know, as you as you work with the community and, and you get to know them on a, you know, on a household level and understand their challenges. Um, you realize that the solutions, you know, are, um, you know, are multidisciplinary. And so, you know, a, you know, a water project may incorporate, you know, solar power, but it may also play into uh, some, you know, some sanitation needs, you know, as well. But then looking outside of just the technical solutions, which, which may incorporate water, sanitation, agriculture, uh, electrical, uh, electrical needs, um, or energy needs, really, um, it's really about what infrastructure represents. And so infrastructure is a pathway, and is, it's an essential pathway to uh, prosperity and progress. Um, it's, a, it's a pathway to quality of life and equity. Um, it's a pathway for children to be able to go to school um, so that they don't have to spend an entire day helping, you know, the elders and their family go, uh, go fetch, fetch water. It's an opportunity to build a future for one's family, family and have control over one's future. And so when you look about how the infrastructure relates to, you know, one another, um, I even look at the, you know, the infrastructure of, um, of power. And so how these projects have to help facilitate um, a shift of power to lead to an equitable future for these underserved and underprioritized uh, communities. And that's really what I try to communicate um, based on my experience to, uh, to chapter members so that they aren't just focusing on the technical solutions themselves, what they're, you know, what they're really should, what they really should be focusing on and what we're really talking about when we're focusing on impact is, is how communities are able to, to sustain themselves and grow and have the capacity to do more, um, after we leave. And so the projects themselves aren't the end game. Yeah, yeah, and so something, something you said in there. There's a couple things I thought that were really interesting. Uh, before I get into um, kind of like the anatomy of a project, so to speak, uh, can you talk about uh, where the projects you've worked on uh, have have been located around the world? Sure, uh, I've I've personally been to Malawi, Philippines. El Salvador and, and Guatemala, and uh, I've also done some domestic project work here in the, in the States as, as well. So uh, I, I last traveled for an EWB trip in 2015, um, and since I've, I've been more involved as a, as a regional and national leader. I'm, I'm currently chair of the Council of Regional Presidents. But uh, Malawi, I was, um, I was a student chapter mentor for a uh, water supply assessment phase trip. Uh, in the Philippines, I spent a significant amount of time uh, with the Philadelphia Professional Chapter, you know, working on a uh, water supply project. And, and El Salvador was another uh, project I was heavily involved in over uh, over several years, which actually focused on a retrofit to an existing water system. And then, uh, you know, lastly for, for Guatemala, I was also a, a student chapter mentor with the UPenn uh, chapter uh, for a uh, sanitation project. Well, you're certainly very well traveled. So, uh, in terms of how EWB chooses where projects ought to take place, or how they they identify the the communities in need, can you kind of walk us through uh, that process? Sure. They they typically happen one of two ways. Number one. 
an NGO, you know, on behalf of the community, representing the interests and needs of the community, will, you know, will reach out to EWB USA headquarters and submit an application for for an open project. Uh, you know, headquarters will you know, review that that project, determine if it's appropriate for a chapter to, to to take on, and if and if that's the case, then they'll post it on their on their open projects opportunities board, um, you know, on the website for for any chapter to take on. Second, secondhand, there could be a pre-existing relationship already established with you know with a specific chapter or a member within that chapter and an NGO or a community, which in that case, uh, you know, those two parties would jointly submit an application to, to EWB USA's uh, technical review committee. And, you know, if, uh, if deemed, uh, you know, acceptable, then that chapter will have already been assigned that project since they have that relationship. And so an example of that is uh, while I was part of the Philadelphia professional chapter, uh, you know, we had a member that brought the El Salvador project opportunity to us based on his relationship with his uh, his local church and uh, and the work that they had already been doing um, in in the San Salvador area. So there was uh, it seemed like there was a natural fit, and we had representatives of the NGO that were based in the in the Philadelphia region. So that that was a nice fit in that sense. Yeah, yeah. And can you talk a little about? Um uh, how you get local community buy-in. I mean, there may be a project that looks great, but if the community doesn't want it, it's, it's, it's not going to work, right? So how do you, how do you build that, that buy-in from the local, local community? You know, I, I tell everyone that'll, that'll actually listen to me. Um, <laughs> I, I tell everyone that'll listen to me that, you know, really the, the assessment phase is, is, is the most important part of the project. You know, there's assessment, there's implementation, and then there's the post-construction monitoring and evaluation where you're, you know, measuring the capacity. But the assessment phase really, you know, really sets the bar. Um, you know, you, you know, you build, you know, organic relationships, you build trust during that phase. Um, you get to understand the individual needs of, uh, of your, you know, of your local partners. Um, you know, you set expectations and communicate that number one, you know, we, you know, we are volunteers and we are here to really just support you, you know, and, and to reinforce that, um, this is a, this is a working partnership. We're just here to help, uh, achieve the goals that, that you aim to, to achieve. Um, and so those are the types of expectations that need to be set along the way. And they may take, it may take some time, especially when it comes to the, to the trust component, but it's also an opportunity uh, to understand, um, to understand their culture, uh, you know, their existing barriers, and even to be prepared uh, for some of the um, cultural and political barriers that one may encounter that could also differ depending on the country and the region that you're in. I, I want to drill down into the anatomy of a project, so to speak, but I'm going to make a little note to myself uh, that because you had mentioned post-construction monitoring and data, and so I want to I want to make sure I ask you about that because I, I think that's a really important aspect of all this. But can you walk us through one of the projects that you've been involved with and kind of take us from from soup to nuts on on how that project went? Sure, uh, I can give you one example with our uh, project in in El Salvador, uh, which began in 2009. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, it was it was a retrofit, uh, you know, of an existing system um, that was developed in you know in the 90s. Uh, you know, so it was a community of 3,000 people. Um, they had various water supply zones, and 
you know, the higher, higher uh, elevated areas of their community, um, you know, were the areas to first receive water because the source, uh, you know, the source was, uh, you know, was springs. But the, you know, lower levels of their communities uh, were typically the last to receive uh, water. And in some cases, they would go, you know, a week or two, you know, without receiving water due to blockages, um, and, you know, in the system and efficiencies in the system. Um, so we work to, uh, you know, develop a, a new zone, so to speak, with an additional tank, um, you know, to have water uh, directly supplied um, to that portion of the community, but also to improve the overall distribution system um, with, uh, you know, with additional loops and, you know, and redundancies. Um, we also, along the way, you know, uh, you know, worked on, you know, WASH, you know, water sanitation and hygiene initiatives um, with best management practices for, you know, for water storage, uh, you know, as well as, um, you know, best management practices for, you know, for, for sanitation, washing hands and things of that nature. Um, but it took a lot of working with the, you know, community to build a leadership team um, in conjunction with the NGO, um, you know, so that they was, there was a, uh, you know, a, a monitoring and organizational practice in place, um, you know, to run that water system well after, well after we left. Um, you know, so that's what, what was comprised of the, you know, sanitation, or excuse me, uh, the assessment and implementation phase. With monitoring and evaluation, it's really, you know, it's assessing the system uh, performance, going back to implementation if, if we need to, to make improvements. Um, but it's also to have, uh, you know, face-to-face -face conversations with, uh, you know, with community members on whether or not, you know, the impact is being made, whether or not, um, you know, bacterial diseases um, are being, you know, reduced. Uh, you know, whether there are any other um, issues within the community that we could potentially, um, you know, gather under that umbrella. And so the monitoring evaluation looks at, you know, both the technical components, but, but also, um, you, know, the, you know, the behavioral, uh, you know, changes uh, as well, as well as trying to understand the shift in, uh, in cultural challenges. Um, you know, another example is, is the Philippines project, which is a project that we actually had to walk away from in the middle of, of, of implementation um, as we realized there were some political barriers that we could just not overcome, you know, in the interest of um, time and, and, and the interest of, um, you know, losing, you know, you know, volunteers. And so that was an instance where, you know, we really should have looked back and said, hey, maybe we, there were more questions that we needed to ask or more dynamics that we needed to understand with conflicts, you know, during, you know, during the assessment phase. Um, we do still look back and say, well, you know, what are some, what are some of the positives? Uh, we were able to find a water supply, and so the community was left with a, you know, with, with, a, with a functioning um, groundwater well. Um, we were able to partner with the community to develop a water cooperative, and this water cooperative uh, would eventually, you know, you know, run the, you know, the water system. It was comprised of, um, you know, people within, you know, within the community, the barangay, as they say, and, and the Philippines. So there were some leaders established, but um, there were definitely some, you know, uh, you know, political barriers and conflicts internally that we could just not interject. That was really not our business to to step in, and that's where sometimes, um, you know. You have to draw the line so you're not going over, um, you know, those getting into that 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 colonialism aspect. Um, those are issues that that community would have to resolve themselves. Um, but those failures were lessons learned um, that we shared with other chapters at other conferences, um, you know, so that these issues can be foreseen or, or, or adjusted in you know in the future.
Um, so when you look at the program monitoring evaluation and, and how we measure impact, um, you know, that's a really uh, important component of the work that we do. Um, and EWB USA is constantly monitoring that. And so, um, you know, across the board on average, um, about 75 to 80 percent of the projects um, are functional as designed. Well, I, for, first off, I think it's very refreshing that you're, you just brought it up sua sponte, so to speak, um, that you had a failure, right? So, um, I think that's very refreshing because nobody bats a thousand. And so I, I, I think that is, um, uh, very indicative of your character that you're, you're willing to just come up and own, own failures because that's what, how, that's how you learn. That's how you build. Can you, so can you talk a little more about how you use data or past experiences to build a better, uh, organization and how, how, how those kind of failures have, have strengthened engineers without borders. You know, I think, I, I think it, I think the experience, um, you know, with our field project in the, you know, the Philippines, um, was a reinforcement of, of, you know, further communication, you know, understanding of, you know, of roles. Um, but then, you know, the, you know, the extent of work that needs to be done in the front end of a project. Um, I think it's a challenge um, just as, a, as, you know, for, for engineers in general um, that, you know, folks just want to get down to do the technical work. They want to roll up their sleeves. They want to build the tank. They want to install the piping. Uh, you know, but as I, as I tell, you know, many members, um, the technical solutions are often, um, you know, the side dish of, uh, you know, of, of the meal, of, of the project, you know, the, you know, the meat, you know, the, you know, the main course, um, you know, is the, is the relationships, is the capacity building, is the leadership building and empowerment. That's really, that's really what we're, we're set out to, uh, setting out to do um, when you're talking about changing, you know, quality of life. Um, it's helping to equip um, you know, you know, communities, um, you know, with the, with the resources that, you know, that they need, um, because they certainly are resourceful on their own and we have so much to learn from them. And that's really another lessons learned is that we could, we could serve so much for, you know, for the project and for the organization by just listening to the communities, listening to what they have to offer, what they can teach us. And from, and from that experience, we can really build and set the, and set the stage in the early phase of the project um, for a successful program. Right. So uh, kind of bringing this full circle, what, what have you – how has how being involved with Engineers Without Border, how has that impacted your kind of professional development? You know, it's, it's, it's actually impacted me both uh, professionally and, pers and, and personally. Um, it's provided me with, you know, with purposeful goals in terms of the work that I do, um, you know, with, you know, with Greeley Hansen and just as, this, as a professional. Um, it's, it's reinforced the need for, uh, you know, for, for ethics, um, but it's also reinforced that the work that we do really impacts people. And so when you look at that end user, we always need to have that in mind. Um, it's also reminded me that, that there's so much work to be done, and it's really what gets me out of bed. There's always work to be done, you know, every day, and it's never going to end. Um, it's also, you know, forced me to look at all problems and, and solutions in a, in a more holistic manner. Uh, it's also forced me to look at problems and, and, and even solutions in a, in a holistic manner. So it's understanding 
you know, root cause analysis, um, understanding true measure of, of impact. Um, it's motivated me to continue to pursue knowledge and understanding what diversity, equity, and inclusion in our industry um, really means. It's reinforced the need for, for representation and, and both people in, you know, in the industry, um, but also looking at, um, you know, restorative justice and relationships and communication, mindfulness and trust. It's understanding culture and background. Um, it's, it's understanding the, you know, the, you know, the need um, for diversifying power and decision making so that end users have ownership and a voice um, and, and the projects that may impact their community or really just understanding their, you know, their needs. And that really gets into like the foundations of, um, of restorative justice and then the intentionality of our actions. And so the projects that we do, that we're doing, um, should really be purposeful with that mindset. Yeah. You know, I, I just love your energy and enthusiasm. And I, th I think that's why I was drawn to, to you and thought you'd be a great person to speak with on this podcast when, when we met at the One Water Summit. I mean, it's, you just, you just radiate that, that energy and enthusiasm. And I, th I think the world's a better place for you being in it. So uh, EWB sounds like a great organization. Uh, how, how can others get involved in, in including non-engineer professionals? I'm glad you mentioned the non-engineering professionals. You know, I think uh, maybe sometimes engineers without borders can be a misnomer in a sense, where it kind of drives away the you know the non-engineers. But um, you know, you think about what we talked about, you know, over the, over the past uh, you know 15 minutes. Um, it's it's really understanding how you know how much of the important work is the non-engineering component, and so um, you know we all have to be you know, really holistic designers, you know, even as a, as a, you know, as a non-engineer, you know, you're, you know, you're a designer, a problem solver, um, you know, and so our organization is, is comprised of, uh, people in the public health fields. We, we have, uh, teachers and profession, uh, professors, we have, uh, you know, faculty advisors, we have people involved in business, uh, graphic design, uh, because each of these chapters are really like their own nonprofits in a sense. I mean, EWB USA, which is headquartered in Colorado, you know, manages you know the you know the funds, but each of the chapters is actually doing the fundraising on behalf of their chapter. Um, you know, doing the social media and out outreach, building business relationships, trying to secure uh, you know grants, um, doing professional development for for within the members. So there's a lot of skills that that need to be contributed to the success of this organization. Um, as a volunteer, you can get involved um, in a chapter. You can get involved um, on another program under EWB called Engineering Service Corps, um, where that program provides engineering project support for governments, international NGOs, and uh, United Nations agencies, um, you know, with a need for expertise and disaster response and other uh, infrastructure issues. Um, there's an opportunity to get involved domestically with EWB's uh, Community Engineering Corps. And I'm part of the New York professional chapter. We actually have a um, domestic project with a, uh, with a community um, in the Bronx, um, developing a community garden with support from, from the Parks Department. Um, on a non-direct volunteer role, you can donate to the organization. Um, you can donate to a specific chapter. Um, you can recommend open volunteer opportunities uh, to your colleagues because there's there's always a need. Um, and then you can also consider um, sponsorship on a local or a national level. Got it. Got it. So, again, well, you've been terrific today. Uh, before we head out, what is your leave-behind message? You know, if, if I've missed something or, or anything like that, I just I just want to kind of get you what your closing thoughts might be on this on this issue. 
would say it's to continue to find purpose um, in, in the work that you do. You know, be an agent of change and be part of something bigger than yourself. Um, and finding that purpose, um, that meaningful impact to, to our society, um, sometimes you're going to need to ask yourself uncomfortable questions. You know, how do we build structures that maximize resiliency, ownership, and self-determination? Uh, how do we pr uh, prioritize practicing, um, you know, development and collaboration? Um, how are we discovering and, and amplifying unheard, unheard voices? And then considering, you know, all the challenges and issues we have in this day and age, um, a reminder to, uh, you know, to take care of yourself. You know, mental health, um, you know, is really important. You need to be able to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. Um, you know, but then lastly, you know, I, it's, it's a call to action for really, um, you know, experienced uh, professionals or anyone in the professional field looking at the next generation um, that will be coming into this industry. Uh, you know, be a mentor. You know, set a foundation for the future. Um, our industry depends on it. Terrific. Well, Walt, thank you again for your time today. You were, you were absolutely terrific. I really enjoyed speaking with you, and I'm so so happy that uh, the, our, our paths crossed down at the One Water Summit. Um, for those who want to find out more about you and Engineers Without Border, where where can they go to get that information? Oh, absolutely. Well, if you want to connect with me, the, you know, directly and pursue more of these uh, these conversations that you know that that we brought up. Um, you know, you can find me on LinkedIn, Walt A. Walker. Um, you can visit Engineers Without Borders, ewb-usa.org. Or on a professional level, you can look at some of the projects that Greeley Hansen is involved in at greeley-hansen.com. Um, but really, connect with me. Uh, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, we can talk about these topics related to, um, you know, to engineering, international development, you know, uh, you know water equity. Um, these are the things that really, uh, you know, really motivate me, um, really invigorate me, and there's so much more we, we can learn from each other. So um, there's a chance that I have a lot to learn from you. Terrific. Well, again, Walt, thanks so much. Really appreciate it, and I can't wait till we meet again. Sounds good, Dave. It was a pleasure. Thanks for giving me this platform. I appreciate it. You bet. We'll see you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Well, that was a great interview with Walt delivered, and I thought he it, it was it was just really inspiring to hear him. Uh, he's obviously very passionate, very genuine, and uh, uh, if you are considering getting involved with or, or want to find another way to help out the water sector, uh, just consider Engineers Without Borders, whether it's uh, financial support or whether you're going to share your uh, time or talent with Engineers Without Borders. So. Uh, again, Walt, thank you very much. Uh, we had to record that episode twice actually, uh, because we had a technical glitch that kind of ruined the, the initial cut, but it was, it was a, it was a terrific interview. And, uh, Walt, thank you very much for sharing your, uh, story with us about engineers without borders. Well, you can check the show notes out for this session at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod one five nine. That's the watervalues.com forward slash pod one five nine. Leave a comment on those show notes, or you can email me at David at the watervalues.com. You can also tweet at me at DTM one nine nine three, and you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag water values. And please do me a favor. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast directory you're listening on. That would be greatly appreciated. It just helps others find the podcast. It helps get the word out, things like that. You can also join the LinkedIn group. Go to LinkedIn, uh, type in the water values, and uh, you can you can follow along on LinkedIn uh, at the, the quote-unquote company site. Uh, so with that, 
Really appreciate it. Hope you again have a terrific uh, holiday and uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks for our 2019 water year in review. Well, in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the water values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource. So please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. Listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.